0: 188 years ago, pastor and hymn writer, Edward Mote, composed that song we just sang. My hope is built on nothing less, also known as the solid rock. Did you catch the lyrics in both verses two and verse three? Let me just repeat a couple of lines. In every high and stormy gale, what happens? My anchor holds within the veil. Why? Because in verse three, the hymn writer says, His oath, oath, that is God's oath, His covenant, His blood, support me in the whelming flood. And when all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. Psalm 93 revolves around the verse at its center. And I I noticed even as Anne read the, the five verses that she paused because there's a turn. And the psalm literally rotates around verse 3, because verse 3 provides the reason for why we need a God who reigns. So we're going to begin in the middle today, as opposed to verse 1, and then we're going to work our way through. So again, have your Bibles open. I want you to follow along, whether it's paper or digital. I want, this, I want you to see this with your own eyes in, on your own device or in your own in, uh, scripture in front of you. Verse three reads, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. What do you notice right away? There's repetition, right? There's repetition, uh, lifted, lifted, lift. The psalmist is, is using repetition to dramatize the chaos And in this verse there's this building crescendo of noise and chaos and tumult and destruction remind you of anything how about life as we live it in the 21st century right in fact it's interesting the psalmist even gives a voice to uh to something in nature to the floods the term roaring literally means, and it's better translated as crashing, or dashing, or pounding. There's a lot of noise in this song. Raging seas and pounding waves are often used in Scripture as symbols of the rise and then the fall of nations. <laughs> and as the nations fall, the, the clanging sound of their rulers who are trying to convince their people that everything is fine. This also reminds us, and I think the psalmist may have this in mind as well, the chaos in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2, the chaos that is abounding at creation and where God comes in and creates everything we know out of the chaos that was in existence at that point. Well, when the floodwaters of life begin to to rise around us, I wonder, where is our focus? Usually, initially, our focus is on the threats around us, right? I'm a fix-it kind of a guy, and I want to figure out how to fix it so I can get out of the chaos instead of doing what the psalmist does, and that is focusing on the throne above us. Now, we don't know who wrote Psalm 93. We're not exactly sure or even when it was written. But there's, a, there's plenty of other psalms. We've sung about them already this morning. But there's one in Psalm 29 that we know David wrote. And in verse 10, David says this, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Do you remember Luke chapter 8, verses 24 and 25? Um, the story of Jesus asleep in the boat. Do you remember that story? It's talked about in more than one gospel, but I like Luke's account. Verse 24 reads, And they, that is the disciples, they woke him. Jesus is asleep in the boat. And a storm has come up quickly, a windstorm on the Sea of Galilee, and it wreaks havoc and creates chaos. And they woke him up and, and crying out, Master, Master, we're perishing. It's like, and it implied there is, And you're sleeping. What's going on here? And he awoke. And what did he do? He rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And what happened? They ceased. The text says, and there was calm. And then he said to them, where is your faith? And I, I, I can't help but think, when he's asking that question, he's really asking, who is the object of your faith? Right? Where is your faith? Who is the object of your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, and they said to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and waters? And they obey him. When you place a magnifying glass over a flower or an insect, uh, or, and don't get the wrong idea here, not in the hot sun, we're not talking about frying insects, but when you place a magnifying glass over something that you can't, it's too small to see the details with the naked eye, what happens? you suddenly begin to grasp the depth of intricate detail that God has put into that design feature. Well, Psalm 93 is sort of like a magnifying glass, but it's a magnifying glass over God's character. You know, we may sing songs or hymns or praise songs uh, that have the lyrics, Our God reigns. But what, or better yet, who exactly are we praising? And why would we do that? Well, Psalm 93 answers those questions. I believe a big idea in this Psalm is this, that God reigns in multiple ways in the midst of life's floods. Just a couple weeks ago, I was struck by an article that I saw that came across one of my digital feeds. Really, it was the p- picture of the photograph that grabbed my attention because it showed a couple of, uh, a pair of brand new Apple AirPods sitting on top of an Apple iPhone. I thought, well, that's curious. That's interesting. And then I looked at the title, and the title was Listening to Jesus Playlist. I thought, ooh, I, I got to read this article. That sounds pretty cool. And the premise of the article is that the book of Psalms are a collection of poems and songs that... Jesus listened to it was part of Jesus playlist The Bible project which many of you are aware of it's based uh, nearby in Portland They've got a great video on, a new video on the Psalms that suggests that the book of Psalms is a virtual temple For all generations of God's people. It, it's designed for a lifetime of slow rereading and reflection David who wrote about half of the Psalms and the other songwriters. They're like prayer coaches. I love that phrase Giving us words for lament words for confession words for praise words for Worship the Psalms give us the language that we can pray back to God in Great situations and in situations like this when the floodwaters are rising so in a sense, we're going to look at Psalm 93 from that perspective. We're going to let Psalm 93 coach us, as it were, into how to, how to deal with the storms of life. Early this morning, we had a prayer time with our worship team, and Ben, our worship leader, prayed that this morning's message would not just be theoretical. That speaks of his all-time existing one. I am the existing one. The beauty of the name though is that this became god's covenant name used by his people to speak of what i prayed about relationship this isn't some distant creator god all-powerful distant god no this is yahweh this is jehovah this is the covenant-keeping god who wants to be in relationship with us in the midst of all of what we're going to see here his majesty and everything else that we're going to read about he wants to be in relationship with us and notice it says that he is robed in majesty the term there speaks of being clothed with something being enveloped now i don't much want to think about putting a robe on this morning because it's quite toasty here but think of that idea of of a king enthroned and enrobed or wrapped around or enveloped in majesty. God is clothed with majesty, not with the emblems or the symbols of majesty, but with majesty itself. And even the term majesty, when translated literally, it means it means a rising up, it means a lifting up, it means a swelling. It speaks of what we might say, Pomp and circumstance, right? When when we have graduations, they play pomp and circumstance, which refers to the the impressive formal activity of of commencing into life, of graduating. That's what this term majesty has involved with it. This first attribute, God reigns in majesty, I think it begs a question to ponder. And I'm going to pose two or three questions as we work our way through the text. Here's the question. Are we too casual too informal in the presence of the lord think about isaiah the prophet what happened what did he do what was his response when he caught a vision of yahweh did he just stand there and kind of twiddle his thumbs and hey how are you doing good good to meet you no he fell flat on his face because you recognize that that god was majestic and he was not god is other than what we are god reigns in majesty the second attribute i want us to notice is also in verse one it's in this the next phrase in verse one he has put on strength as his belt god reigns not only in majesty but god reigns in strength He is belted in strength or girded in strength. He's encompassed. He's he's bound about and around by strength. What's fascinating about this phrase is that in other places in the Old Testament when it's used, whether it's the book of Job or other places in Psalms or even the prophet Jeremiah, the term implies being equipped for something, because it means to be dressed for action. Right? You put on this belt and you're ready to go. Well, our majestic God also reigns by putting on this belt of strength. He is belted with strength. God is, is being portrayed here as our warrior king. He's dressed for battle. He's defending. He's protecting. God reigns in majesty. Real Majesty not majesty though simply because of position. He didn't get elected to this and he's in a position So therefore he has majesty. No, it's majesty based on substance and the substance is strength Well, I believe this attribute the second attribute I I think it begs a question too in our moments of weakness and You've had one or two of those this last week, right? What do we focus on? Do we focus on our weakness? Or do we focus on God's strength? The psalmist is saying focused on God's strength because God reigns in strength. God is dressed for action, so to speak, on our behalf. Let's go to the third attribute. I I told you this would go quickly, right? but it's so so rich there's so many things to ponder to kind of chew on if the least i can do today is to get you to look at this psalm in a different light and then invest additional time in it just pondering some of these attributes then we've been effective the third attribute is this god reigns forever or you could say god reigns eternally It begins at the very last phrase of verse 1 and continues through all of verse 2. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. You can almost, and I hesitated, I almost put the word but in there at the end of verse 1 and verse 2 because there's a contrast being made here. You recognize that the verse divisions and chapter divisions didn't occur when the scriptures were originally written, and so it's as if the the back end of verse 1 really belongs with verse 2. Yes, the world is established, but your throne is established from of old. God's eternal throne is majestic, it's strong, it's firmly established. The world He created is also firmly fixed. The last time I checked, the the heavens were continuing to revolve. They they revolve daily, right? Apples still fall from trees. If you have an apple tree that they don't fall, but they go upwards, I'd like to know about it. There are are certain laws of nature that God has designed, right? There There are multiple natural laws that govern us at all times. And that's true whether or not the world recognizes that whether or not the culture our culture affirms that that's true but God is bigger than that he's farther than that he's longer than that because God is eternal in essence he existed before time as we know it before the created world order in which we live and so no matter what happens here God's throne his reign is safe. It's secure. It's not impacted by what happens where we live. Now, just think about that. I don't know if that's encouraging to you. If it is, Amen. Right? I mean, it's it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to recognize that yes, the world is firm, but God is so far above and beyond that. He reigns forever. He's reigned from eternity uh, past to eternity future. He has reigned. He does reign and he will reign There's no power human or otherwise Which can threaten the Lord's sovereign rule over the world there isn't Debbie and I have a family adage it just kind of Developed spontaneously years ago Whenever there's a tragedy a crisis, loss of job, sickness, accident, whenever something happens in our family, the first thing that has, that in, again, we've de- this has developed over time, the first thing that gets said is, this is not a surprise to the Father. I mean, Tim wants to go into fix-it mode right away, but I've got to pause, and this is not a surprise to the Father. Why is that? Because God reigns with majesty. God reigns with strength. And God reigns, has been reigning, and will reign forever. Let's move on to verse 4. God reigns with power. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. The term mighty literally means wide or Large, I can't get my arms out. My wingspan isn't big enough here and it became Used all to also mean that which is excellent that which is famous the psalmist is saying God is reigning with with this might with this power which is wide which is large it's It's bigger than our issues. It's bigger than these floodwaters that were talked about in verse 3 and you'll notice he He contrasts there, he's he's showing us the need that we have of God in verse 3, but then he very quickly says, look, God is mightier than all this noise and chaos that we're seeing around us, the fury that goes on around us. In fact, he he again uses emphasis three times. He uses that term mighty uh, to strongly make his point god's reign is more powerful than the roaring the crashing the pounding floods let me put it to you this way i'll give it to you in a, in, a, in an alliterated fashion god is more powerful than our present peril god is more powerful than our present peril we need to be reminded of that in a in a room this size with the number of people here those that are even watching online there's at least one person who is right now questioning that and psalm 93 affirms the opposite of that psalm 93 affirms that god is more powerful than whatever it is that we're currently facing you know and if we attempt to understand who god is out of the fear of our circumstances we fail Miserably, but if we view our circumstances in light of who God is as presented in Scripture Then we're better equipped to respond to the trials and the tribulations the floods as it were of our lives Charles Spurgeon the great prince of preachers in England Put it this way The ungodly are all foam and fury. I love that noise and bluster during their little hour and then the tide turns or The storm is hushed and we hear no more of them While the kingdom of the eternal abides in the grandeur of its power The last verse verse 5 turns our attention a sort of away from the the need and the solution to the need this all-powerful majestic strength-filled God and it focuses our attention on his character and there's two aspects of his character that I want us to see the, f- the first one is found in the first phrase of verse 5 your decrees are very trustworthy the term trustworthy speaks of something being established verified faithful and he says Uh, that it's exceedingly established abundantly confirmed sustained or supported in fact uh, mothers in the room will relate to this the term is trustworthy is used to indicate the kind of support that an arm would bring while carrying a child i guess there's dads in the room too we just had our youngest daughter and son-in-law here and i was I was struck by just how careful our son-in-law is, particularly with their two-year-old, in, in carrying her. That speaks of trustworthiness. It's a, it's a wonderful picture that we can have when we think of God's word, God's decrees. They are very trustworthy, supportive. The Apostle Paul, uh, Peter, rather, makes it clear in his first letter, second letter, that um, false prophets, false teachers, scoffers—they will abound in the times in which we live. But God's promises will all be fulfilled in their time. You know, our great adversary, Satan, has been attacking uh, the the Word of God since he first lied to Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter three. But you know what? The word of God still stands. Derek Kidner, who's written a classic commentary <clears throat> on the Psalms, actually two volumes, says this about the trustworthiness of God's word Scripture rests on the integrity of God who vouches for its statements, promises, warnings, and commands. I love that. And then Spurgeon again As in providence, the throne of God is fixed beyond all risk. So in Revelation, his truth is beyond all question. So when the floodwaters of life uh, start to rise and roar around us, we need someone to come and rescue us, but we need someone whose word we can trust. His his word, this word is more trustworthy than any word we're going to hear anywhere else. I got up super early this morning just to review my notes, and this popped into my head. I don't think I've read it somewhere else. I'm gonna claim it as original. Twitter teeters and totters in the face of God's trusted word. If you'd like to tweet that, go right ahead. Claim it as your own. But all of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they teeter and totter in the face of God's trusted word. And you know, in life's darkest moments, what, what some might call the dark night of the soul, um, we're called upon to invest more time in His Word. That's the response. I've shared from this pulpit, I've shared with many of you individually, that I went through a very dark night of the soul that lasted nine years. I've been hurt badly by a local church, and I didn't respond to that very well and basically told god i'll see you later but the one thing i did was this is i stayed in his word it's wonderful to have a a loving bride who stayed on her knees praying those nine years but the one good thing i did was i stayed in his word and most of the time it was in this book of psalms i wasn't doing exegesis on romans okay i was staying in the book of psalms and allowing god's word to instruct my soul into into communicate to me. So if you're in a wilderness experience like that, invest more time in the trustworthy decrees of God's Word. The final attribute, number six, is also found in this verse, and it reads at the, the back end of, of the verse, it reads, Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. The, the holiness speaks of the, the otherness. God is God and we are not. It speaks of His set-apartness, His sacredness. And it says that holiness befits your house. What does that mean? That's a term, befits. We don't usually use that. It's only used three times in the Old Testament. The other two times, it's used in a way to communicate beauty. It's used in Song of Solomon and also Isaiah, And it's translated as comely or beautiful. But what it really means is to be at home. And when you're at home, it's a beautiful thing. Well, what's at home here in God's house? Holiness. His holiness. His separateness. His otherness. In fact, holiness is the beauty of God's character. And it's going to last forevermore. That statement will always be true. That will not go away. Well, as with any message, I think there are some takeaways. Let me just kind of respond to a few, and hopefully it will resonate with you. The Lord reigns. Did you hear that? The Lord reigns. To him belong the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He's given his testimonies to his people. It's sure. It's a trustworthy word. He himself has chosen to dwell with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is transforming his house and his people by his holiness. So when the tempests of life surround us, what do we do? We look by faith to his throne of grace above us while simultaneously looking to his word, his trustworthy word before us. The truth about what's going on in our world is not in the media. Newsflash. It's not there. It's right here. It's in God's word. Psalm 93 commands a response. It begs a final question. How will you respond? How will I respond? And I simply want to urge all of us today, acknowledge who Yahweh, the covenant God, acknowledge who He is in all of these attributes of His character. His majesty, His strength, His eternality, His power trustworthiness his holiness turn away turn away from your indifference to that turn away from your preconceived ideas of what that should be instead just trust his holy word and then live by faith in his holy character in 1855 uh, katharina von schiegel wrote the lyrics to be still my soul. Here's what she wrote in verse 2. Be still, my soul. Your God will undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake. Be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he lived below. Let's pray. And I'm simply going to pray with the help of David, the prayer coach, Psalm 65. Let's pray. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against us, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one who you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Father, that is our prayer, that you would make our hearts shout for joy as we reflect on who you are. We thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.